Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is a negotiation coach helping clients with more than 10,000 negotiations, ranging from $10,000 to $250 million. He has founded and ran his own successful business for more than 12 years before a successful exit. He's the co-author of the Negotiation Mythbusters, Fractional Negotiation Officer at 88 Owl. Please welcome Alan Sang. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Greg. What a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you must have written it for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I might have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's awesome to have you in uh, this podcast. We focus on leadership, and my favorite question to ask my guests is, "Tell me about some misconceptions in leadership." There's a lot. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of misconception, but uh, you've, we've all heard in recent years more so now than in the in the in the twenty years or twenty five years that I've been in in training, coaching, and in different uh, uh, roles, but you've heard of empathy, the importance of empathy in recent years, right? More so just even as soon as the the pandemic hit, it's like, we want leaders with empathy. So why is that? Why is that problem? Because there's actually different forms of empathy. We can have the wrong empathy and it can incapacitate us as leaders. How many of you have heard of cognitive empathy? or compassionate empathy or emotional empathy and some form of empathy cross over to sympathy. And so there's, there's almost like a spectrum of it. And, and for us as professional negotiators, we want to employ cognitive empathy, the, the ability to recognize how people feel on a granular level and how that affects our, our deal or our negotiation or how we resolve the conflict Versus me just feeling the pain they're feeling so much that I feel sad for them. And now I'm just going to give up everything based on what they're demanding. Right? So there is a time when empathy is actually dangerous. So that's, that's one of the myths that all empathy is the same or that you just need to have empathy. We want to have cognitive empathy, just like a doctor. You want a doctor to know that I'm in pain, but I don't want my doctor to be so in pain that they're starting to cry because... Uh, I'm in so much pain. They just feel so sad for me. They can't even do the job, right? Um, another one that I hear is like ego. Ego is bad. Many of us, there's even books on record saying ego is bad. But ego is necessary for leaders to be effective because it's, they need to have a sense of self. They need to have the confidence and assertiveness in order to set boundaries, in order to deliver and receive feedback. They have to have a very strong sense of self. And if someone has no ego, you don't want to have no ego, right? But you don't want to have your ego go unchecked where it becomes arrogance and pride. And that's where it becomes dangerous, right? Another one is um, just teamwork. A lot of Leadership is like focusing on teamwork. How can I inspire? 
How can I influence? How do I motivate people to work and cooperate and collaborate with each other? How can I lead them, right? How can I be a, a good leader? But how many leaders actually work on themselves? How, how many leaders learn how to manage and regulate their own emotions? How many actually study active listening skills and to use it and to turn them into real habits? And how many of them actually train themselves on how to make effective decisions? So if we don't know how to make effective decisions, how do we expect to have a group make effective decisions? How can we lead if we don't have self-work? How, can we, how, do, how do we transition to teamwork if we haven't had self-work, mm. right? And so I think there's too much emphasis on, on this immediate outward expression of working together, and there's not enough of self-cultivation, of reflection, of an, 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 a self-analysis, and how do I regulate my emotions? How do I make good decisions? And there's not enough work in that area. That's powerful, Alan, very powerful. You're jumping back to your first point around empathy, and I've never thought about it that way, and you're spot on. I'm one of those leaders that I, I feel what the other person is feeling, and it does affect my decision-making for sure. Um, talk to us about how to recognize that as a leader, if you're in a negotiation or you're making an offer to an, a, a potential, whatever the case may be, what's the trigger that I can sense or see that says, you know what? I'm not being cognitive right now. I'm really being sympathetic. Yeah, that's a good question. So when someone tries to make you feel sorry for their situation, that is the first step as a signal. They are, that's what I think about it. That's what con men do. Confidence mm -hmm. men. They want you to trust them. And then they tell you how much pain they're in so that you feel sorry. Have you heard of these, was it love scammers where women are, uh, are, are kind of, connecting with guys from other countries where they become like long distance friends, developing a love relationship. And the next minute they're asking them to invest in, in them or their business, or, or maybe because they got hurt and they need surgery and they start sending money and they go from 5,000 to next minute, hundreds of thousands and they have lost everything and they haven't even met the other person yet. So they, what they're doing is they are using your empathy against you. So in a negotiation, they would do that. They would just say, you have heard of people like trying to buy a car. And I remember an episode on uh, the Cosby show. I, I don't know that the Cosby show is, is a good thing to bring up these days. But when, <laughs> I was, when I was in college, I watched, this is like 30 something years ago. I watched the Cosby show and there was, a, there was an episode where Sinbad was the, was the car salesperson. And he was trying to sell a car to Theo, son of Bill Cosby. And Theo and his dad came to buy a car and Sinbad, the salesperson, was trying to tell him, oh, yeah, I need to buy, I need to sell a car today because I've got kids and they're starving and they're about to turn off the electricity and we're going to have no lights at home, right? What are they trying to do? They're trying to use the empathy against them. So when you, when you send someone trying to create the conditions where you start to emote and feel for them, then you have to be careful. It's not that it's not good to do it, it's you need to be careful. Mm -hmm. So you just need to, to be aware of it 
and to che- to check it. This this becomes a bias, and that's why in negotiation we try to create a, a team environment where there's a primary negotiator, but then you also as a coach that would say, "I uh, hear you say this. I hear you say that the counterparty is this, and therefore you feel the need to do X Y Z." Where does that come from? Where does that need come from? And you need to have someone kind of check up, check up on you, and make sure that you haven't crossed the line to the other side. That's very helpful. Very helpful. Um, you know, just ticking one forward, we talked about ego and the misconception that ego is bad as it pertains to leadership. One of the comments you made um, was around setting boundaries, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to learn more about how you relate the two, the the comment you made around ego and setting boundaries as a leader. Yeah. So having a a good sense of who you are, having the confidence and assertiveness to be able to set boundaries is important. Otherwise, um, often I have leaders that I coach that say, I have a great employee. And uh, what I'm hearing that is that my employee is having a lot of issues at home and, and it makes it difficult. And, and I want to be empathetic and I want to, I want to understand his or her situation, but they, they constantly come to work or to meetings late and then they have to drop off a child. They have a dog that has got behavioral issues and they got to take care of that. And then there's a lot of doctor visits and then the parents are not ill and I want to feel for them. But at a certain point, how do I run my business based on that? If all my employees did that, I cannot function, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So how can you be empathetic and how can you be assertive and be considerate of the other person? So how do you, at that point, deliver and receive feedback from your employees? So, so leaders have to learn how to deliver and also receive feedback. It's a two-way street. Certainly, certainly. And it, and it touches back on, the third point you made about being self-aware and self-care, talk to us a little bit more about that and where the revelation came for you. Um, I am assuming that it, it just wasn't there in front of your face the day you started your negotiation coaching. Like, walk us through how you discovered that as an important aspect of leadership. Yeah, so let me take a step back first and and kind of connect why negotiation coaching have so much to do with leadership. Mm. Okay. And now I'll talk about how leaders, uh, the importance of of ego and and uh, and all that ties into leadership. So when people came to me for executive coaching and focus on negotiation, what were they asking for? They were asking for a lot of my my employees are escalating the conflicts up to me. I become the conflict resolution grand central. <laughs> so my employees, uh, they don't feel confident negotiating uh, with uh, our, our suppliers or the customers or a scope and fee uh, negotiation has escalated into a huge uh, 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 problem. And now there's threats of litigation. Then what do I do? And all the time, uh, they come up to me and say, hey, uh, boss, we have this situation. What do you do? So it always ends up on their lap, right? Mm. So what happened is I noticed that what they, they, they're looking for is in terms of when they're looking for leadership, they're looking for leaders that are good listeners. And what we said, we mentioned earlier, having empathy, 
the ability to inspire and motivate their team? Uh, how can they um, deliver and receive feedback? How do they become better coaches and how do they become better mentors and foster a culture of engagement, uh, trust, uh, and, and just collaboration? Mm. And all those are skills that we actually teach and train in negotiation. So I went from negotiation coaching to negotiation as a leadership style. So a good leader will learn how to resolve disputes, re solve problems, uh, build collaboration, work with the suppliers, work with the customers, build strategic partnerships, work with the employees, deliver feedback. And all these skills are things that we actually do in negotiation coaching. So we just it's just one small step, like a small pivot to help leaders become better negotiators. On a daily basis, that's what they do. That's what a leader does. How do I negotiate with my investor? How do I negotiate with my partner? In which strategic direction should we go? How can I take this message and inspire my team to pull in the same direction? I have multiple departments and one department is, is kind of undermining the success of the other. And I have a supplier who is not uh, delivering stuff to us, even though I know they're delivering it to our competitors. So why are they not prioritizing us? How can we get a better price? How can we get a better price than our competitor who is buying less than we do? How can we get it on time? And then with our customers, uh, they're making unreasonable demands. We already have a contract in place, and now they want to uh, breach the contract and they want to cancel and they want to do this or they're threatening this and they, they want us to hold us accountable to this part of the, the agreement, whereas they have not held their part of the deal. So now we're in a dispute. So the leaders are pretty much going from one negotiation to the next, right? To the point, even to try to persuade or inspire the team to learn negotiation skills becomes necessary to learn how to negotiate with your team to help them see that they need to learn how to negotiate for themselves in order to not escalate the conflict up to them. Because they say, mm -hmm. I can't grow my business when on a daily basis, I am solving disputes, right? I'm putting out fires and the bigger the company gets, the more disputes I get. That's great. You know, it, <clears throat> I was really sort of daydreaming on your comments around negotiating with yourself. And you, know, you could almost take it back to the minute you wake up, right? It's like, I'm going to start my negotiation. Am I going to get out of bed right now? Or am I going to wait five minutes? Am I going to have water before my coffee? Or I'm going to, like, to your point, everything is a, a choice or a negotiation either with yourself. And if you struggle to handle that with yourself, then as a leader, you're also going to struggle that in front of a team or building a business and those types of things. Um, so just changing gears a little bit, Alan, over your 10,000 negotiations you've seen and been a part of, what are some of the more common mistakes that you have witnessed people that haven't been trained, either negotiations or um, self-awareness? Like, give us some of the, the the classic mistakes that you've been seeing and helping your clients with? That's a good question. 
the outside class, of empathy. <laughs> the, the classic mistake I see the most is assumptions. Mm. Assuming because in the past I have solved the problem this way, then I can do the same in this similar situation. And usually that comes from not having the discipline to prepare properly for each interaction. So they have a tendency to just wing it, right? They wing it. There's, when I first go into organization, very few prepare for their upcoming negotiation. Less, even less than that, come back from a negotiation and debrief the team on how it went, what they learned from it, and how they can do better on the next negotiation. Mm. Maybe maybe 1% of the companies, are, and, and that would be generous, that after they negotiate successfully of, or where they fail, they come back and they sit down and they debrief each other. This is what we did. We set out to do X, Y, Z. We did not. And this happened. Where did it break down? What could we have done better? Where did we fail? How can we improve? How many companies does that? Just you work with a lot of companies too. <laughs> How many do that? Minimal, zero, probably. In fact, yeah. I was on a, I was a panelist on a webinar today, and part of my section, I talked about, you know, there's millions of analogies of sports teams and business, and like we've all been and lived through that. But what people don't talk about is how sports teams manage their team and how businesses don't manage in the same way. And if you think about it, right, a business, they have years worth of recruits sort of on their list. They also have coaches for different aspects of however they're playing the game. And ultimately, and to your point, they practice. They practice, 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 and then ultimately play the game. And then after that, their next practice is reviewing the previous game. And so there's this continuous loop, this feedback loop that us as business owners tend to miss because of the point you made of assumptions. And we just assume we go in hot, we go in flying, we haven't done the preparation. And next thing you know, we're not learning from the past or even the present. So I'd be curious, you mentioned a preparation, Alan, do you have a tool or a process or some sort of insight of like how a person should prepare for a negotiation or a conversation? Absolutely. What what I do have a tool, and that's it, that's all it is. It's a, it's like a tool um, that helps us prepare, and it's it's a, it's what we refer to as a game plan. And it's funny that you're talking about sports, but I call it game plan. Uh, we want to know what has brought us to this point. We want to know what is it that the other side wants to accomplish. We want to know how is it that how can we help them accomplish that, and we want to know what are the problems standing in the way of us helping them. To, to, to accomplish it, right? Identifying the peripheral problems and the real problems. And then we have to talk about what the desired outcome is. What is it that the other side needs to see in order to take the very next step? It's very agile in nature. So we move from one interaction to the next. We don't plan for what's going to happen five months from, that, from, from now. We're talking about what, what's the next step and how can we get to the next step? So it's very agile. Once we have it, then we plan just for the next step. Mm. Okay. It's a it's a decision based. What decision do we need to make? What decision is best for the counter the counterpart to make? And how can I help them 
realize that it's a good decision in order to make it. So we want them to take an action. And prior to that action, there's got to be a decision. What decision has to be made in order to take that action? And prior to that decision, there's an insight. We want the counterparty to gain certain insight, right? So certain realization. And then we go back and we take one more step and go, how can we create discovery around that to help them get the insight in order to make the decision and then take the subsequent action? It's very process-led. Sure, sure. So you're thinking about your typical client engagement, the work that you're doing. Um, when is the right moment to bring in a support or a coach, a negotiation coach? I mean, clearly, if you're making a decision over what kind of staples to put in the office drawer, you probably don't need the negotiation coach. But when, like, what is the ideal situation for you to, and I suspect you come in late, later than you want normally, and you have to clean up the pieces. Um, <laughs> I bet it's like you too, right? When sometimes someone's financial situation is in chaos right. and then they go, Greg, can you help me? What's your magic wand? Greg, right. do you have a magic wand for me to save me right now? But I bet you go, I wish you came here a few years ago. Right. And we would have been in a much better place. That's exactly right. So what's so, your when is when is the right time to to bring in a, a support character like yourself? So I think if you're working as a solopreneur, uh, if you can afford it, absolutely, right? Get us get the support. But uh, it, it what we do is not inexpensive. But the, the benefit is in multitude. So for instance, I help a, a mom and pop negotiate the sale of a domain. Their first offer was 50000 And then over a period of months, they were able to negotiate it to $2.6 million for a sale, sale of a domain. And then they said, now we can retire. Wow. That's awesome. Now we can so, retire. Yeah. So changing so, gears again, um, Alan, I'd love to know more about your background. How did you, from wherever you started your life to now, give us some highlights. Tell us a little bit more about the bio that I read. You know, tell us about your, your previous business, how you got into negotiation coaching, and then ultimately into leadership coaching. Take us through your journey. Okay. I'd love to talk, to talk about myself like everyone else, but I want to actually answer the question you asked earlier because it's, it's critical. When should you engage in someone and that is when I have a decision I need to make, but I need to also influence the decision-making process of my counterparty. So you said, not all the time I need a negotiator or a negotiation coach. If I just want to plan to do something, then I just plan and I do it. It is when my plan meets a problem. So now I have a decision to make and someone else is introduced into my plan and I need to influence that decision-making process. Now we're in a negotiation. Got it. So That's I have to make helpful. a decision. I have to influence a decision. And that gets, uh, gets involved. So a um, little bit about me. About 15 years ago, prior to that, I was uh, doing a lot of consulting, helping companies grow, doing marketing, management, um, and coaching executives. and then. Uh, what happened was I met Jim Camp. He's an author. Uh, it was, he's the author of Start With No. 
So if you have a chance, check that book out. Um, and then, of course, check the negotiation mythbuster that I wrote. And it's all about mindset change. In terms of uh, uh, Jim Camp, he talked to me and, and he said, um, okay, so we met each other through a mutual client. He was coaching a client of a company that bought the company of my client. And then my client says, do you know a guy called Jim Camp? I said, no. He said, he was helping the other side negotiate with us. And so he made it, I think he made an introduction. We met on LinkedIn, we chat. And then Jim says, um, I really like what you do. Would you like to join my organization? I said, heck no, uh, I'm happy doing what I do. And um, it was a kind of a nine month kind of conversation. And the reason I turned him down is because when I want to do something, I'm all in. I don't tiptoe around it. And so I made a, a clear decision. And when in nine months I decided to do this, I was all in. I stopped what I was doing and I trained and I was coached by Jim and I was mentored by Jim and I apprenticed with Jim. I took over his clients, trained the uh, coaches' clients on negotiation all the way to 2014 well, when he passed away. And um, after that, I started working with son occasionally. His son is Todd Camp, wonderful guy in Silicon Valley, coaching a lot of startups, uh, uh, technology startups over there. And uh, they send a lot of clients that um, they are not able to help or they don't have the bandwidth for to me and I work with them. And so that's how my journey has been. I teach, train and coach negotiation, uh, worked with uh, Jim. And then in recent years, I've been, uh, I've been mentored by uh, Gary. He's a good friend. And I also consider him my, my, uh, my mentor in negotiation. He's a retired chief of the FBI crisis negotiation unit. He wrote a book called Stalling for Time. I uh, love him dearly. We have regular lunch where I take some thorny negotiation. I go, hey, Gary, how would you solve this? I, I have this situation and we just kind of talk about it a little bit and it helps me kind of uh, uh, have a different perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a little bit about my life and how I got into negotiation. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so one of my other favorite questions is talking about the future. And so, Alan, I'm curious uh, what's getting you excited about the future? Well, the future is I am in the process of developing an online course. And the online course is a, a is the result of all the work that I've done in the last 15 years. And I want to make it be able to reach more people. However, I don't want to just throw out a course like everyone's got a master course. I want this course to be able to be transformational for those who take it. And it's not a simple course of like, hey, uh, watching uh, some podcasts and some videos, because I consider that as passive learning. You can learn from books, you can learn from podcasts, and that's a form of learning. But until, like you mentioned earlier, like the sports team, until you evaluate your performance, until you reflect upon your your performance and analyze it and then reapply what you have learned and that feedback loop until you have that, then you don't have active learning. You just have passive learning. And I need to have an online course that can reach more people than I currently can handle. Like right now, I have, I have uh, uh, clients that I work with that have signed up for the next two years. My time's booked up with them for the next two. They do not want to lose access to me for the next two years. They've already paid up. 
And so a lot of my clients now go through a 12-month program in order to change their habits. It's taken a lot of years for them to get to where they are, and they know that their habits that have got them to where they are cannot move them forward. So they want to learn, they want to train in order to acquire the skills, and then they want to develop the necessary habits. And that takes time, spaced repetition, and stress inoculation over 12 months to be a good leader and a good negotiator. Mm -hmm. So my coming months will be kind of taking everything that I do, my coaching, the book, the, what I've written, and kind of condense it and, and develop an online course that can actually help people become better negotiators. Fantastic. Um, just on that same topic, as we wait for your, your course to come live, uh, any other favorite books on negotiation or leadership that the audience should consider reading? So uh, I already mentioned uh, the negotiation mythbusters. I've mentioned stalling for time. I've mentioned start with no. Um, what other books are good? I think uh, my partner, Dan Oblinger, has a book called Life and Death Listening. And that's good. It's active listening skills. It's based on a lot of work from Carl Rogers, uh, uh, active listening. And that, and it's, it's great. Uh, so those are, those are the books. I, I kind of caution people on on too much knowledge because too much knowledge actually becomes a form of self-deception. And in my book, I talk about the, uh, the danger of knowledge. Knowledge is not power. Like everyone says, it's a myth because then, then a librarian who knows a, a lot of stuff about many topics about books become the most powerful person. It is the application of the knowledge. So sure. if someone were to read one book, and, and I've recent, recently heard about CEOs should read about 50 books in a year. I'm like, that's great, but it's a lot of reading. How many books do you read? And then you just, just devour it and you apply it and you see what worked and what didn't. And then you reapply from your learning, the active learning of if you take one book and you do that, it is so much more powerful than reading umpteen different books. And I've seen people on LinkedIn sharing this is my stack of books that I've read. And they have a stack of maybe like uh, 18 inches tall on, on, on books on negotiation. And I get embarrassed. I'm like, well, I have a lot of read a lot of books, but I don't want to apply them. I have two bookshelves full of books on negotiation, conflict resolution, and culture building and, and leadership. And that's why on the back of me, I have no books. Mm. It's on purpose. I don't want to have bookshelves behind me. If you can just take one book and apply it, even just my mentor's book, start with no and apply that, you would be a great negotiator. That's awesome. Very well said. So Alan, uh, members of the audience want to get in touch with you. What's your social media platform of choice or email or? Uh, the best way to reach me, I'm, I'm kind of active on LinkedIn. So look for me, Alan, A-L-L-A-N, double L's. And then Sang is T for Tom, S for Sam, A-N-G, Alan Sang on LinkedIn. You're going to find me. Um, I'll be glad to accept uh, your invitation to connect. And uh, if you want to reach out to me by email, uh, just, just it's Alan, A-L-L-A-N, at 88 owls, the number 88, and then the bird, O-W-L-S.com. Wonderful. And we'll include those in our show notes. So anyone's trying to scramble to write those down, just scroll down a little bit. 
and uh, you'll see them. So Alan, it's been awesome to have you on our show. I could talk to you about negotiation and leadership strategies until we're blue in the face. Uh, (laughs) But your tidbits have been very powerful and and really insightful. And I appreciate your time and it's great connecting with you again. Thanks, Greg. It's It's been a pleasure. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.